Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Are we on now? Yeah. You told me about the show Fake or Fortune. Oh, it's the best. So Fake or Fortune is the best show on TV. It's essentially a documentary about Britain's crumbling aristocracy. Because instead of cash in the attic, it's like cash in the East Wing. Yeah. Where someone has just found what could be a Gainsborough um, handed down from their sort of doddery old great aunt um, and wants uh, Fiona Bruce and, a, and an extraordinarily posh man called Philip Mould, who owns a gallery <laughs> in Paul Mall. Paul Mall? Does he call it Paul Mall? Paul Mall. <laughs> I mean, sounds like a hitman <laughs> from a James Bond. <laughs> Paul the Mauler. Paul the <laughs> Paul Mould, what does he do? Philip Mould and Fiona Bruce take extravagant holidays to try and trace down the provenance of these <laughs> of these pictures. And, you know, it's like, and it's just transparently an excuse to, like, funnel licence payer money into, like, sending Fiona Bruce to Paris and to some kind of Egyptian spa. Like, <laughs> hmm, we've traced down the lead and it seems to be in a five-star hotel in Dubai. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And, but the best part of this, apart from just the sheer campiness of, of the whole affair and the sort of slight tragedy undergir- <laughs> undergirding it, like, why, why are these people spending their lives this way, is the provenance expert who is... <laughs> Who rejoices in the name Bendor Grosner and will sort of <laughs> sorry he will pepper his uh, tackling like a witch we haven't got onto witches yet he will pepper his his explanations of where a painting might have come from was just stuff he's dredged up from like village hall records it's like ah oh, the uh, the 1875 pig rolling competition was won by a woman of the name of Mrs. Death and quite frankly the mind boggles it's it's amazing it's so good and millions of people agree with me it has like three million viewers or something like it's that it's like aristocracy the zoo it's it's, it's absolutely fascinating <laughs> How the other half lives. Welcome to Sisterhood, a podcast about gender and politics and big ideas and social justice. And today we are talking about 
Witches. Witches as a cultural and social phenomenon. And we're asking, why is it that everyone seems to be obsessed with witches right now? So maybe over to you, Els. Why are we talking about this right now? I mean, partly it's obviously to satisfy a personal proclivity towards witchy stuff. I think rejoicing in like having uncontrollable like dark hair and wearing a lot of black and suddenly that's now culturally vindicated yeah you're Hooray. Cool now. yeah that would never happen. that was that was long in the post finally <laughs> redemption uh, but more to the point we are asking okay so what does the figure of the witch as a way of understanding female power do and why is it so attractive to a lot of particularly younger women who Mm -hmm. engage with it I think with varying degrees of irony but almost unanimously with some kind of irony right it's an it's an experiment in what it would be like to to um, be a witch to have that kind of power over your own life I read a very interesting essay by Erica Jong a couple of days ago called I Want to Be a Witch and she wrote this in the 90s when there was another explosion of witch imagery and culture and it was around the time of the craft and of you know the first real age of goth and she was saying look When you're a teenage girl, you are suddenly aware of the limitations, the social limitations of your own body and all of the things that you're suddenly not allowed to do and all of the things that you're suddenly expected to be. And the idea and the imagery of witchcraft is about a fantasy of exerting control, not in a broad social way, but control over your own life and your own destiny. And that, in a in a serious way, beyond the symbolic, that's something that teenage girls and really women of any age are really encouraged not to do, to feel a sense of control over your life. I remember very vividly being, I must have been about 11, and I was around a friend's house, and we were all bouncing on the trampoline and it was hot it was summer and Mm. everyone had their tops off so I took my top off and I remember an adult can't remember who who it was coming out and telling me to put my top back on I mean Mm -hmm. I didn't have any boobs at the time it wasn't even an obviously coded body in that sense but it was this like burgeoning awareness that I couldn't do the things with my body that my largely male friends could, right? And I remember acutely feeling a sense of loss at the time. Yeah, the idea that suddenly you exist in this female-coded space with all the restrictions that are implied on that. And what Erica Jong says and what a number of people have observed is that the idea and the figure of the witch becomes popular when there's a broad social rebellion by women against social restrictions set out on the basis of gender. And when there's a big movement of feminism and gendered resistance, which we're having right now, I think people are more attracted to the idea of the witch as somebody who does what women aren't meant to do, someone who is powerful, but also someone who's persecuted. You can't really separate the idea of the witch from the idea of the witch hunt. Somebody who is punished for doing her own magic rather than existing as a magical figure for other people. This idea of witchcraft as something occult, as something hidden, bound up with the idea of the witch as controlling life force, right? Mm. You don't, the, the power of the witch doesn't express itself consciously, politically, like witches aren't 
you know, controlling the minds of politicians in the way that, you know, like other like the minister and- from Like the Minister for Magic directly control. Sorry to he's, Harry Potterize. All- the, the, the Minister for Magic directly controls the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom by mind control. And I don't think that's correct. Anyway. <laughs> uh, taking a stand against both Russian bots and the Minister for Magic. Ministry for Magic. What are they doing? We should know. We want muggle-grown mind control and manufacture of consent for a muggle population. And yeah. that, my friends, is democracy. So, like, the uh, power of the witch is one expressed over life, right? Mm. You, it's about controlling the elements and controlling bodies. It's about sort of flesh and blood and bone. And I'm really interested in the way that a male fascination for feminine control over life function mm-hmm. um which is, you know, a real phenomenon, right? Women overwhelmingly do the work of producing life, whether that's producing babies or cooking and cleaning. Reproductive labour. All that kind of reproductive labour, right? But um, when men aren't particularly involved in that work, that kind of means that from their perspective, you know, food cooks itself and babies just kind of grow by their own volition. My clothes pick themselves up off the floor by magic. Exactly. Like, of course that seems magic and occult. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. So this is also what Silvia Federici says in Caliban and the Witch. Theorist Silvia Federici says that the idea and the figure of the witch and the persecution of witches in history was all about an enclosure. She plays off Marx's idea of primitive enclosure, enclosure of a certain sphere of women's work, of domestic work, and feminizing that sphere of work, which could not then be incorporated into the world of profit, privatizing the means of reproduction. What this essentially means is making all of the work that is necessary for society that women now are meant to do, making that invisible, coding it as non-work, making it the private, hidden, shameful sphere of women, so that women wouldn't have to be paid for it, we'd be shamed into doing it or guilted for doing it wrong. Exactly. It's something she frames as a kind of primitive accumulation, right? You gather the resources necessary for capital to exist, Mm -hmm. and those resources are overwhelmingly dependent on women's bodies and the work done by women's bodies in all kinds of ways. And that's work done with the mind and the hands and the legs, you know, far more often than it is by the womb. But I think we also need to think of it not just as accumulation, but as conscription, right? Because women's bodies aren't Mm -hmm. simply a resource. They are also troublesomely attached to things like brains. Yeah, people are involved. People are involved, shockingly. But when you think of it as as conscription, Mm -hmm. it's something that demands a system of discipline, right? And that's where the figure of the witch comes in. It's a tool for condemning women who infringe on this newly defined territory of privatizing female labor and consigning women to a strictly and exclusively domestic role, Mm -hmm. an exclusive role in the production of life. So often you'll get things like if you look at the records for why certain women were condemned as witches often it's for things like procuring abortions yeah and infanticide and making abortofacients it's also for things like being too talkative too garrulous too obviously infringing on like a, a defined public space of of male power 
right? And meddling I, in the community. Exactly. And this is sleeping it, around. And if you invented a realm in which women were persecuted for having sex and for speaking too loudly and for getting abortions, like if you made that up in a fictional universe, people would be like, wow, what an on the nose metaphor mm, mm. for the state of the world today. Because what, that's exactly what we're seeing with the war on women and the next yep. leader, the next favourite for the leader of this country is a man who has never changed a nappy and who wants to ban abortion even in cases of rape. Jacob Rees-Mogg. Jacob Rees-Mogg. I love Marina Hyde's description of, of, of Mogmania as a Midsummer Night's Downton wank that has never quite <laughs> got over it. Oh, she's wonderful. I think maybe that's, that's the key here. The witch imagery is coming up because women who want to have this kind of power and get more of this kind of basic social power over their own lives and their own bodies are being discriminated against and are being shamed. And, and we always have been, but that tension is particularly felt right now. And the iconography of witchcraft, it's so... Yeah, it, it's everywhere in culture and it's some, something that's very easy and quick for people to grasp onto. And it's a, it's a soft rebellion as well, saying, look, I don't want to be the princess in this story. I don't want to be Rapunzel or Cinderella. I want to be the witch. And I want to do what you think is evil and bad and wrong, but I actually just want control over my life. And I think something about revindicating the social value of a figure which has its roots in condemnation mm. and evil and all that sort of stuff is much more powerful than the iconography that you've kind of seen, say, Disney experimenting in, which is, you know, like, the kick-ass princess. The strong female character, which is actually just means the violent female character. Exactly. The thing about the witch is that it is permission to be flawed yeah in the way that the strong female character doesn't give you permission to be flawed and human and troublesome and argumentative a real person a real damn person oh well this is why i i really wanted to talk about terry pratchett's <gasps> witched series which i know you've read as well and loved and they were such a formative part of my growing up and and really of my of my reading now i've just reread some of the some of the books and it's really interesting to me how I would say if I had a favourite, a, a canonical favourite writer, Terry Pratchett would be it. One of the reasons is because he writes characters so, so profoundly, and he but he also writes female characters in this in this fantastic, massively rounded way. They are real people from start to finish, and of all different ages, and they're full of they're so weird these characters they're flawed annoying people who get to be real from the first page and they the, the Bechdel test doesn't even come into it they're all of these books are full of women just having drama with each other and you know written by a man which I, I think is kind of kind of gives the lie to the idea that men can't do this they just normally can't be bothered the idea of the idea of headology in the witches books and headology is, is the name for a kind of magic that isn't really magic it's just social influence and getting people to think in a way that means they make better choices and the lines are you know most of magic is knowing when not to use magic that's what the idea of magic means in society right now as a whole what it always has been magic is a metaphor for power 
It's a very simple metaphor for power and a metaphor for power that you might not really understand or want to understand, like what you were saying earlier as, oh, you know, domestic work is kind of like magic. Women do it just by magic. It's like, no, that's that's work. And the fact that we don't have control over that work is a loss of power. Well, precisely. I think it's not that it's a condemnation of the work that's being done Mm -hmm. right it's a condemnation of it being made visible that's why i mean occult means hidden yes right and to point out that something is hidden you need to be able to point it out in the first place there's that paradox contained Mm -hmm. in that idea so the the ideal state of this quasi magic of producing life is something that we don't talk about because if we started talking about it then we might realize that it's actually a really hard work and b the process on which all of society and you know therefore all of our economic system all of capitalism depends um and people might i don't know start start making a fuss start demanding (laughs) a wage for it because silvio federici um of uh, caliban and the witch was involved in a 1970s movement in Italy, which was the original Wages for Housework movement. Yeah, and which then came to the UK in the 80s, was not necessarily about just demanding wages for domestic and emotional labour. It was about making the entire idea of what we value as work problematic. So, as Jess Zimmerman said in a recent essay... You're not just demanding that you be paid, you're saying that if you're not paid and if there's no reward happening for this, we're being exploited and there's, you know, there's oppression taking place. It's what Kathy Weeks calls a critical demand, right? It's not a demand that you think should or perhaps even can be fulfilled, but it's a demand whose failure to be fulfilled is a condemnation of society. Exactly, exactly. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So to, to bring it back to witches, so how many people do you know who, you know, ironically or otherwise, do spells and talk about hexing? I think 
an increasing number. It's yeah. sort of, I mean, it's probably social selection and like the kind of social yeah. circles, covens that I move in. But um, I think the proliferation of the language of cursing and hexing is kind of... Obviously, there's a limit to its efficacy because I want to make this very clear that I don't actually believe it. <clears throat> what? I know. There's an obvious critique of like, okay, you're just making yourselves feel better. This isn't actually doing anything. But I think there is something to be said for crafting this sort of fun, ironic language where people can experiment in what it would be like to be allowed to be angry yep. and vengeful and all we need to do to experiment with women being allowed to be angry and righteous and unapologetically powerful in this universe is to make up a completely fictional one according which we can relate to because I think it's interesting right that mm-hmm. we don't have non-magical language yes. to talk about these things right well not ones that don't automatically condemn you yeah you can be a nag or you can be an angry woman and obviously women of color get this levied at them all the time but I mean when you're talking about you know like hexing people like yeah of course it's silly and yeah of course it's fun but like that's part of the point of its power yeah it's fun because it's not about condemning one another granny when weatherworks would call that headology exactly it's, headology is praxis yeah head- headology is praxis and that is that's what magic is it's having an impact on the world by ritual and you know creating spaces of tradition and community and all the rituals and bells and smells around that but this does make me question the limits of the radical potential of this kind of language and this kind of semi-ironic mode Mm -hmm. of experimenting in feminine power because it reminds me of what you were saying the other day, right? That witches' power is over their own lives and it is this sort of quite private sphere of power on which like the magic operates and in many ways you can understand that because things like banning abortion its first impact is felt on on a private level and you know we all know as you know good signed up feminists that the personal is political but is there a risk that using this language to to collapse the political into the personal mm-hmm. because this is what Terry Pratchett points out, right? Yeah. You can't have more than three witches in a coven, not because of any like magic law of three, but because they fight. Because they fight like they argue too much. Everyone brings potato salad to the coven sabbat. Exactly. <laughs> but like and that's kind of, you know, limiting. You're not gonna have like a million witch march on Washington because, you know, it would just be, like fights would be breaking out all the time. But you're not gonna have a million cat march on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of level of possibility. So is the figure of the witch secretly... Neoliberal bullshit. Yeah, a, a lean-in feminist. I don't... I really want it not to be. I don't you think, see. like, lean in on, on the broomstick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lean into your cauldron, sisters. <laughs> no, I don't think. I think it can be more radical than that. Because it doesn't just have to be about exerting power over yourself. It's also exerting power and, and agency within communities and changing the way that power operates operates at that intimate level the idea that you'll be able to control what happens to your own body what happens to the bodies of other women who ask you to help maybe there is an idea of sisterhood there an idea of unsanctioned power and i don't think that 
is I don't think it's wholly co-optable by this neoliberal idea of witchcraft. I mean, I hope we're riffing here, obviously, but like, I mean, obviously, another thing that's potentially problematic is the fact that the iconography around witchcraft and also the history of Mm. witchcraft is in the contemporary, I want to say, Anglo-Saxon imagination, very focused on the white cis woman Mm -hmm. because of A, the reference points for the history of witches that we use as a kind of wellspring of symbols and this idea of like vengeance and uh, like restitution of historical justice. It's focused on largely the like white European woman Mm. 400 years ago or whatever. And also it's linked to the idea of like the womb as the seat of power. And there are kind of lots of ways in which this re-articulates some of the worst impulses of white cis-normative feminism Mm -hmm. and it's obviously very important that like we remain critical towards the limitations of the language in that way particularly as people who are not living in the in the global north at the moment are still sometimes being persecuted or even executed because people think they're witches yeah this is a literal problem yeah This is not a metaphor in everybody's lives. There are actual witch hunts still happening. In the context of all this, it's kind of fascinating that alongside the rise of the cultural currency of the figure of the witch, we're seeing the rise of the language of witch hunts. And the witch hunt is never directed, weirdly enough, towards women. Mm. It's used to essentially condemn the culture that has resulted in the public excoriation of men who have been shown to have been lifelong abusers, sexual predators, that sort of thing. And in one sense, there's something uh, there's something very accurate about that because what the witch hunt said it was doing was um, revealing these hidden networks of power that were uh, causing havoc throughout society in this very, very secretive way. But obviously, I think it's um, one of those sort of stopped clock telling the right time twice a day sort of things. I think it's um, it's fascinating because as well as um, being... Uh, identifying a hunt that's directed against men it's also like the tables have turned because it's women doing the hunting right lindy west said in her brilliant new york times piece lately yes this is a witch hunt i am a witch and i'm hunting you but i I really like the idea of like the witch hunt as the witches doing the hunting as a kind of like mode of praxis i really Mm -hmm. want that to be like the idea of organizing so who are your favorite witches apart from the terry pratchett witches you're into the book of dust the philip pullman witches aren't you see this is something that i keep talking about because i recently revisited the northern lights trilogy like with adult eyes and i absolutely loved it as a kid i sort of rejected Harry Potter because I was stubborn and everyone else was reading it, so I didn't want to read it. Such a Gryffindor thing to do. Such a Gryffindor. I absolutely loved the Witches of Svalbard, and they would say things like, we feel the cold, but we don't mind it. And so like, I would refuse to go out with a coat on. Is that why you didn't wear a jacket? It was why I didn't wear a jacket. I (laughs) knew you were cold. (laughs) 
I secretly did mind the cold. Oh, but I wanted... I, that explains so much. I wanted to be a witch of Starbucks. <laughs> That's why you didn't have a jet. Oh, sweetheart. And it was... You could have told me you could have had my hoodie. So, but, but witches don't mind the cold. Oh. Um, revisiting it I've, has only deepened my love for Serafina Pecola because the witches are anarchist separatists they use things like there is no economy in witch culture we operate via a principle of mutual aid do they literally say they that literally, he literally uses the word mutual aid also because they live for like hundreds of years mm-hmm. but they also sleep with human men right so what they so they kind of cast them off every like oh. couple of decades which is obviously tragic but also kind of amazing kind of amazing yeah <laughs> men are and i quote Creatures of a brief season. Creatures of a brief season. Yeah, I know. Our mum would approve. <laughs> and next time, next time some guy... Brief you season. You are a creature of a... What would Serafina Pecola do? And what are the branches that they ride in Northern Lights? I think it's something like a like a wind pine. Oh, Christ, I feel so ashamed. I'm going to have to read it a, a 14th time. To, to reassure myself. Also, it's it's a spinacistic universe. I've also I've also spinacistic spinacistic uh, from the philosophy of Baruch Spinoza. Okay, all right. <laughs> Hit me with this. I can tell this is something you've thought out. Sorry. Why is the Northern Lights series? What is it? Sp- spinacistic. 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 I can't pronounce it because I I read more than I talk to the other humans. Um, but um, is it a real word? Is Conceivably. My friend pointed out this to me the other day. There's an angel who features prominently in the in the series. Mm-hmm. His name is Baruch. Yep. It's made very clear that he used to be a human mm-hmm. of some kind of academic persuasion. I will just leave that out there. Uh-huh. The Baruch. A Baruch of the right... Baruch a- being actual Spinoza's actual first Spinoza's name. Actual name. And, you know, just, just putting that out there. All right. I'm not yet sold. So, spoiler alert, the idea of the His Dark Materials universe is that all of reality consists of, like, one material known as dust, and it's this kind of conscious matter that individuates itself into things like mountains and shoes and people and trees and civilizations, and then just kind of, you know dissolves again it's all part of this one material fabric and you know over over a long period of time mountains are liquid and that's exactly it's exactly what Spinoza thought it's it's so, so excited I, look I mean I've not read as much philosophy as you have but to me what you've just described just sounds like the founding principle of of half the sci-fi I read when people can't be bothered to make up a cosmology. Because because they don't have to make up a cosmology. They can just read Spinoza. Well, they, I don't think they all have. Maybe, or maybe it's that Spinoza's read a lot of sci-fi. Maybe maybe it's that he, he was a time traveller, like went forward in time, and the only part of culture that he consumed was fatefully just mid-level sci-fi from the 60s and 70s. But, you know, good on him. So we've confirmed that the Dark Materials books are spinozistic. Yes. Also quite good. And the witches are anarchists. What do you mean quite good? Well, they just weren't ever my thing. You don't like Green Day I, or Harry Potter. I don't... I don't hate them. That's not the point. You don't hate Hamilton. I... D- I... I like Hamilton. I re- I love Lin-Manuel Miranda. I Everyone think he- loves Lin-Manuel I think he's Miranda. a lovely man and I want the- only the best for him. 
nothing bad should ever happen nothing to Lin Manuel Miranda. To Lin Manuel Miranda. You don't love Hamilton like I love Hamilton. But I don't love Northern Lights like you love Nor- Northern Lights, and that's okay. I'm not sure it is. Listen, <laughs> I know that's why they call it taste, but you are objectively wrong on this matter. Okay. And I shall brook no argument. No. Okay. How do you brook an argument? What does it mean to brook an argument? Do you like run a little stream across it? <laughs> I came I came out of the river because you have to stop. Okay. Um, Let's stop there. You've been listening to The Sisterhood, a podcast from New Statesman. If you'd like to support our work, go online and subscribe at newstatesman.com. Thank you. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.